You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to minister uh, your word. I pray today that today my friends would see the value that they play and the calling that they have upon their life to live as a minister. So I pray, Father, for their workplaces, that you would use them to be salt and light in their areas of influence. I pray, Father, uh, for their bosses, uh, to see them and their creativity, their talent, their skills and responsibilities, and uh, acknowledge those and affirm those. And Lord, when so much goes undone that doesn't get credit, I pray for courageous faith and commitment, Lord, for all those employed simply to see that all their work ultimately is unto you. So God, start a revolution within uh, the way we um, uh, do ministry that is far beyond these walls, but it's all throughout the city we live in. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, this morning, I've kind of titled the message, a very interesting message, it's called uh, Work Clothes and Clergy Collars. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to start off and tell you a story about the importance of one man that played a vital role in my life to help me see Jesus and ministry in a whole new way. I wasn't a Christian at the time. It starts in junior high. In junior high and high school years, I worked at a place called Asher Auto Salvage. It was a little hole in the wall, kind of trashy, tacky little auto shop and salvage yard. And my job was to assist the mechanics in auto repairs and errands. Uh, I would go fetch parts off of old salvaged vehicles as the mechanics needed them. It was pretty often I'd hear somebody yell out, Hey boy, go fetch me a taillight off of that Lincoln over there. So I'd have to go and get the taillight off the Lincoln. Or someone would yell out, Hey, get over here and clean up this oil before somebody slips in it and sues us. So I'd clean up the oil. See, part of my story as a kid was a story of a suburban kid that got in a bunch of trouble. And as a result, I had to kind of work my way out of it. So there was bills to pay, there was uh, fines to pay, I had to work off and do community service. And that's how I found myself at this place called Asher Auto Salvage in Little Rock, Arkansas. Little did I know at that deep season of rebellion and darkness in my life that that was going to be a turning point for me where I was going to meet a man by the name of Pod Bowie. See, Pod was a Christian. I wasn't. He was the owner, an old Louisiana Cajun kind of guy. He was nearly seven foot tall. And this was a really big man. He had a big frame, a big booming voice, and gigantic hands. I remember on one occasion... He reached out his hand and grabbed me by the neck because I wasn't listening. And he said, boy, you listening to me? He got my attention. Uh, Pod didn't have to demand attention, but he actually earned it. He earned it. Everyone knew Pod had stories from his days before knowing Jesus. He was more wild, more rough and tough than anyone I'd ever met. In his younger years, uh, Pod had been shot, stabbed, kicked, punched, whipped, run over by a car, and what's even worse is that he had done twice as much to others as what others had done to him. Pod was, had an interesting resume too. He was uh, 
once a bouncer, a bartender. He was uh, thrown out of bars. He was at one time a heavy machinery operator. He was a real estate developer and a small business owner. But what's amazing about Pod Bowie's story is that he later in life came to know Jesus Christ and then ended up leading an incredibly successful, financially uh, strong business. See, Pod was greatly respected in our city by everyone, not just because he was a successful businessman, but because, or some kind of rich redneck of sorts, but because he was like a gentle giant. I remember on one occasion when somebody uh, came, uh, a single mom came over and called in and said, Pod, I don't have enough money to pay for my car. Pod answered the phone and he said, hey, listen, young lady, you don't have to worry about that today. You got enough on your hands. This one's on me. And then on another occasion, I remember, I recall a vivid scene when a drunk guy that had everybody kind of knew, kind of the local drunk, came rolling into the shop with his tire completely ripped off his wheel. Uh, the man drove the, co- the car probably three to five miles on a flat tire, and it disintegrated the tire off of the wheel. It's amazing that he still had a wheel when he pulled into the shop. And I remember as soon as he started driving in, everybody knew who it was. Now I'm standing there as a teenage boy with all these other mechanic workers, and we know who this is. And we knew this guy didn't have any money because he probably spent all his money on booze. But what we didn't know is we didn't know this guy's story. And we didn't know why he was really drinking. But we did know that Pod Bowie knew. Pod knew why this guy was drinking. Pod knew the problems this guy had. And we all knew that Pod would ask us to go help this guy. And then I heard Pod call my name. He said, hey, Ryan, stop what you're doing. Go over there and help Mr. Williams. Looks like that gentleman is going to need a new tire and he's going to need a new wheel. So I went over to help Mr. Williams. And I remember thinking as I was helping this guy, Pod Bowie is completely different. He had an ability to model grace and forgiveness. He had a work ethic that was deeply Christian and deeply ministerial. Like he was acting as if he was some ministry leader, but he was just running a mechanic shop. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no one else like a Pod Bowie. One day I asked Pod, why do you do all this? You're not a pastor, you're not a priest. And he said to me words I'll never forget. He said, son, you ain't got to be on staff at a church to be a minister. Everyone can be a minister. Little did I know that Pod understood something profoundly powerful. He understood the reality that because of what Jesus had done on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, that he had created a breakdown to where every believer had the role and the responsibilities as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Pod showed me that day is that the mechanics, the mailmans, the waitresses, the water boys, the football players, the financers, the consultants, the coaches, they all had equal playing field with the pastors and the priest. He broke down to me the division between the secular and the sacred and showed me in living form and fashion that the priestly responsibilities in the New Testament and in the Old Testament and in today in our culture are for everybody. Every person that places their faith in Jesus Christ. 
This morning what I want to do is I want to uh, talk to you and teach you about the priesthood of all believers. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is writing to a group of dispersed Christians that have been persecuted. They have fled from Jerusalem. They are in five different Roman provinces throughout the Roman Empire. Nero is uh, moving into power as the Caesar over Rome. Peter is just a few years out from his martyrdom, will be killed, crucified upside down in Rome along with the apostle Paul. Paul will be beheaded. And in just about five years or so from the point that he's writing this, Jerusalem, the city, will be destroyed by the power of Rome. Peter's writing to a group of Christians that are not just Jews. There are a lot of Gentiles. These are people that are um, ethnically don't have an association or connection to Judaism. And these are new believers that are all scattered out. And Peter writes to encourage them to think of their recover their true identity and who they are. He says this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, he may pro- that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This passage that the apostle Peter shares with us is very reflective of that in Exodus chapter 19, 6. But look at the passage in 1 Peter. He says, you are a chosen race. Peter wants all believers to know that God does the choosing. God chose us in Christ, chose us uh, as believers. These are Gentiles. These are not Jews, as you would think, and as you typically think of Jewish people, that they're the chosen and holy people. Um, Peter here says, no, this applies to all believers. They're chosen by God. It's good news that there's nothing that we did in order to, or these early Christians did in order to be chosen. God in his grace did choosing. A chosen race. And then Peter goes on to say of a royal priesthood. The royal priesthood is a reference to that of Melchizedek, which was a priest before the time of Abraham, who was not only a priest, he was a king. And what Peter says is to these Christians is that they have this royal lineage, this royal identity that they maybe didn't understand. He's trying to help them understand their true identity. But then the priesthood, let me help you understand the priesthood. The priesthood began in Israel during the time of Moses and Aaron. The priest had responsibility, really two perspectives. One is is that the priest wanted to make sure that there was a good relationship with God between the people and God. And then secondly, that there was a good relationship among their brothers and sisters, their family, the spiritual family. And what the Apostle Peter does to add the language of the royal priesthood is he's tying it to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in the New Testament is said in Hebrews that he comes from the lineage, from the line under operating under the order of Melchizedek, a royal priest. So in essence, what Peter is saying is 
You guys as believers are a royal priesthood. You function and you should have these specific roles and privileges that of a priest. I mean, listen, Peter was an ordinary fisherman. He got called by the Lord Jesus himself to enter into the ministry. Peter knew what it was like to be ordinary, and he was called to something extraordinary. The believers that Peter's writing to were ordinary people that weren't ultra-religious, if you will. And Peter says to them, you're a chosen people. You're not only a chosen people, you're part of a royal priesthood as a believer in Jesus Christ. Not only that is, he calls them a holy nation. He's not talking about the Jewish nation. He's talking about all believers. What we see here in the text has been called the priesthood of all believers. It was the mantra that started in, during the Reformation also that Martin Luther picked up and shared about the importance of understanding that every believer has equal access, equal responsibilities, and equal privileges just as the priests do. See, Peter is pushing on something incredibly powerful. I think this is why we see church growth in the first century move from just to 20, 30 believers multiply and spread and exponentially grow to 500,000 believers. It's the same thing with us as a church. When, when people start to understand that if you're a believer, you're a part of this royal priesthood, which by the way, is not just some brand new concept in the, even in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament as well. But when people grasp that, then the ministry becomes, even in the workforce, when the work clothes that you wear, that the doctor can be the minister, that the finance guy can, can be a minister, a pastor, or a priest. It changes things. It advances God's mission in unprecedented kinds of ways. See, the church was never designed for just one pastor or one priest to do all the work of the ministry. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that we're called as people that are on staff in churches is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So I've got good news for you. The good news is, is that there is no division and for the sacred and the secular, for a believer, you have equal access, equal opportunity in the privileges and the responsibility is that of a, of a priest. The Apostle Peter goes on and calls them a people for his own possession, that we are chosen people. He's giving significant identity statements. He's helping the believers to recover their true identity, that they're not just a scattered group of people that work in the agricultural industry. They're not just a scattered group of people that are not blessed by God, that have a holy calling upon their life. They're a royal priesthood. This is brought up by um, Peter would be referring to Exodus chapter 19, 6, when God tells um, Moses and calls upon the nation of Israel and says that he's building a kingdom of priesthood. Not only would there be priests like Aaron that would serve on behalf of the nation of Israel, but the entire nation of Israel, every believer was called to be a part of this collective, communal pluralistic, the entire group of believers operated as this priesthood. And it is the same form and fashion in the New Testament when we see that the church is to operate, not where there's just a pastor or a priest, but there's a priesthood. And it's to 
influence all of economics, politics, art, agriculture, business, finance, and every industry believers are permeating and moving forward, not just because the pastor or the priest told them to do something, but because God ordained it. God planned it that you as a believer are a priest. He calls it a kingdom of priests. In Revelation, the apostle John says, to him who loves us and freed us, that's all believers who've been freed from the power of sin, the penalty of sin. He says, freed us from our sins by his blood. That's the work of Jesus Christ. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, look what happens. And made us. You're made into a kingdom of priests. You have a priestly role, a priestly responsibility, a priestly uh, privilege. You're born again. You're a child of God but you're also a priest. The wife is a priest to her children and her friends. She can pray. She can access God's word. The husband is a priest in the household. You're a priest at your work. You help, medi- you help reconcile. You help encourage. You help edify. We're going to see the responsibilities of the priest. He says, made us into a priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, Here's the therefore. You may think, okay, Ryan, I'm called into the priesthood. I've been, I have been called into the priesthood. You may say, like maybe Peter's disciples said, yeah, yeah, that's great. You calling me a priest. But guess what? I don't have education. So I couldn't be a priest. I don't have the experience. So I couldn't do all those spiritual responsibilities. Like in Peter's day, I'm sure too, they probably thought, I'm not from the line of Aaron. Uh, there's no way. I'm not a descendant of Aaron. And Peter says, no, 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 I'm not talking about you have to be part of some special family. You're a part of some special family through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And you're a royal priesthood. You have God's kingly, you have kingly uh, calling. You have an internal inheritance. You're a part of God's kingdom. Peter's telling us that. Believers in Peter's day would say, we don't have the education, we don't have the training, we don't have the lineage. And Peter says, no, you're a priesthood. Maybe believers in Peter's day said things like, we don't even look like a priest. We don't have the, the, the clothes, the garments. We couldn't be a priest. Maybe that's you. Maybe you think, I could never be a priest, really. I, I could never really be a priest. The Bible says you are a priest. Here's my point. I want to illustrate this. Behind everybody's work clothes, as a Christian, there is a collar. Let me show you. Now, don't worry, I do have something on underneath here. There is a collar that the mechanic holds the role as a Christian, as a priest. And what I want you to understand is that when you see this, you say to yourself, potentially, depending on your background. Oh, that's a holy man set apart. And that's absolutely the intention in the 12th and the 13th century. This clothing, these garments were set aside as to help represent an individual that was set apart, holy, and had certain responsibilities and certain privileges. And therefore, here's the reality is that every Christian has a priest collar on They are a priest, part of a priesthood of all believers for all times. And we serve under the great high priest. His name is Jesus. 
And so the, the interesting thing is, is this, is that, that the, in the Christianity of the New Testament, Peter did not tell all the believers to dress up like a priest. Do you know what he said? He said, be you. In fact, you don't have to look like a priest. You are a priest. And what he told the early believers is that you're a part of this holy priesthood. And he tied it back from even the days of, of Moses and said, don't you even see, it's not just one priest, Aaron. It's an entire priesthood. And the church is an entire priesthood of believers. And so what I want to do in our remaining time is show you the, the, the privileges of being a priest. If you are a Christian, you are a priest. If you are a young boy who professes faith in Jesus Christ, you are a priest. If you are a young girl who's professed faith in Jesus Christ, you are a priestess. If you're a man that's placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a priest. If you're a woman who's placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a priest. And so what are the privileges of the priesthood? Number one, you get direct and personal access to God. You don't have to set an appointment with God. The appointment's already been made. You have full authority and access. Hebrews tells us that you can approach the throne room of God boldly with confidence and expect God's grace in it. You can go to God anytime. How does that happen? Look at Romans 5, 1 through 12. The apostle Paul understood this powerful reality that all believers have direct access to God. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have also obtained access. You have access with God anytime you want. You don't have to set an appointment. You don't have to meet with a pastor first. You don't have to meet with a priest. You have direct access to God anytime that you want. Why? Because Jesus has paid it all. He has paved the way. He has created peace between an almighty, all-powerful, perfect, righteous, holy God with imperfect, sinful, rebellious people. And it all has been paid for with the great work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's created a bridge and said, you got access anytime you want. So you don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor to connect with the Lord. What you need is you need a faith in Jesus Christ and he will meet with you anytime, anywhere. What's powerful too is in 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says that if we confess our sins to Jesus and he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sins. So you don't have to schedule a time with the priest in order to get forgiveness. The only person that you need to be concerned about in seeking forgiveness is the work in the person of Jesus Christ. You have direct and personal access to God. In the Old Testament, only the priest would get the access. Only the priest would, would enter in on a special day. Even this last Wednesday was Yom Kippur. It was the day of the atonement. And it's a time to celebrate when the priest would go in on behalf of the people and create peace and beg for, plead for the holiness and the peace of God for all people. And so here we have it in scripture is that the peace of God comes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ and every believer has access to God. Secondly, the privilege of being a priest would be is that you have full access to God's word. You have full access to God's word. I think of, to illustrate this, is, is what's been in an erroneous assumption for many years is that this holy book could only be understood by the priest, the pastor, 
and that the word of God could not be understood or accessible to just an average day ordinary believer and they would misinterpret that. See, in 1522, Luther said, he was a, an old monk that became came faith in Christ in reading Romans, exploded his mind and just thought, this is powerful, I've never read this stuff. Luther had the intelligence where he could read from the early manuscripts in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And he's hearing all this. He understood Latin as well. And at that time in the church, the only people that could read the scripture were the most educated people that understood Latin and could read in Latin. And Luther said, well, what about all the guys at the bar? What, what about the, the guys on the farm? Maybe they can't make it to the church uh, could they not read God's word? And as Luther began to read, he said, we need a revolution. I'm going to take the scriptures, not from the Latin. I'm going to go back to the Hebrew. I'm going to go back to the Greek. I'm going to translate it. And I'm going to disseminate it for all believers to see what I'm seeing here. And Luther's efforts were not to overthrow Rome and the Pope and all that. His efforts were primarily is to elevate the believer to see that they had equal access to the word of God just as every priest or other clergy. And what Luther wanted you to see and what Jesus wanted us to see is that we have full access to God's word. How can we know God's will if we don't know God's word? Should we rely on a priest who's really intelligent or a pastor? I have two master's degrees from Dallas Theological Seminary, said to be one of the best evangelical seminaries in the world. Sometimes I wish I didn't have that education because I hear people say stuff, oh yeah, well you understand and you read your Bible and you can get it because you went to seminary. And I say, no, the word of God is for you. It's been translated from Hebrew and Greek into our English language. It's not version upon version upon version. You have full access to the word of God. My encouragement to you is be a fact checker. Anytime I'm preaching, anytime you hear God's word, you hear it, you can be in God's word so much and you just check the facts. That's why I put all the other scripture references there on your program as well. Jesus said this to even the Jews. He said, so Jesus said to the Jews uh, who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be abiding in God's word. You've got to know his word. And he says, verse 32, here's the result. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the apostle Paul says this, all scriptures breathed out by God. You have direct access to God. And when you're reading God's word, this is the very words of God. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's God's very words for you. Many of you have got phones and you got like 20 to 30 translations on your phone. Great. You have full access to the word of God. As a priest in the Old Testament or as a priest within church history for many, many years, the only people that had access to the word of God were the priests or the really religious. All scriptures breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every work. If the apostle Paul said that, he would expect that we read it. How can we know what to do unless we know God's word? We have full access to God's word. The third privilege for being a, of, of being a priest is that you and I can offer up spiritual sacrifices. We can offer up a sacrifice of praise when we're singing music. 
We can offer up praise with our giving. We can offer up praise with our whole lives. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Did you know your whole life is to be an act of worship? Your, the, everything that you do in your life, how you serve as a mom, how you serve as a single, how you serve as a husband, how you serve in your work, your whole life you can use as an act of worship. It's your, the way you work. You don't have to wear the collar to offer up the sacrifices. Your whole life, when the Apostle Paul's writing and talking about offering up sacrifices, he's not talking to the priest. He's talking to ordinary people. 1 Peter 2.5, Peter echoes this truth and he says, referring to the Gentile believers as a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, we can make sacrifices unto God like the priest, but because it's through Jesus Christ. Because he has paid the highest price, he has broken in and it allowed us to experience the holy of holies because of the work of the great high priest Jesus. So you and I can make spiritual sacrifices. You say to me, Ryan, what would a spiritual sacrifice look like for me? I would say it would look like this, three things, time, talent, and treasure. You sacrifice your time. You say, Lord, I'm going to give my time to honor you, to bring worthy and acknowledgement and praise to you. I want to devote a significant amount of my time in my life to invest into things that make an eternal difference. And it may cost me time away from things that I love. I remember recently a story of a guy in our church, very successful business guy. He wanted to go to camp with the kids this last summer. And he took off an entire like week to prep and to give ready. And he saw it as a means of his worship, that he would sacrifice his time away from his job, take uh, uh, unpaid vacation time to go away to serve the Lord. There's also, you can serve the Lord with your talent, doing the things that God's gifted you to do. You have to ask yourself, Am I going to be an obedient priest? Am I going to serve in this priesthood of all believers, taking my skills, my talents, and use them to serve on behalf of Jesus, the great high priest, and upon, uh, uh, along with my brothers and sisters who are part of this wonderful priesthood? You can also give your treasure, your finances. When you see, and the apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippians and to the church in Corinth and tells them that when we're giving, it's an act of sacrificial worship. And that when we give and we serve, we're investing into and we're laying up treasures in heaven according to Jesus. And we can make sacrifices not only with our time, our talent, but our treasure as well. So the scripture tells us that we can have full access with God, that we can offer up sacrifices. But then there are responsibilities as well. Responsibilities are great opportunities. These are the things that we must do, not the things that we should do. These are the things that every believer must do and every priest in the Old Testament would do. It's encouraging to see that if you look in your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 8, all the way through 
I think it is uh, 33 on, uh, you can see that there's uh, roles and responsibility to declare God's will, to educate um, the believers. It would have been through the Torah, at least, and then to mediate on behalf of God's people. So every priest had a responsibility in the Old Testament. And so specifically, we ask the question is, what is Peter telling us that we are responsible to do as a believer? And the first thing is, is that we need to understand that we're called to this ministry of proclamation. Ministry of proclamation. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you are a chosen race, not just the Jews, all believers, a royal priesthood, not just those related to Aaron, a holy nation, not just the nation of Israel. He says, a people for his own possession that you may, what? Proclaim. There's a difference between proclamation and demonstration. Most believers today say, well, I want to fulfill my responsibility as a Christian by a ministry of demonstration. What they mean is, is let me just serve, help people, but I don't want to open my mouth. I'm sorry. The apostle Paul said, how will they know? How will they hear unless somebody speaks? This gospel message is in our hearts and in our voices, and we must carry it forward and carry it out. What does it look like to have a ministry of proclamation? It means that you testify. As Peter said, you were once a people. You, you were once not a people. Now you're a people. You were once a part of the darkness. Now you're not. You tell your testimony. You tell people what you're going through. You tell people. You testify. You share. You give witness. Everybody can open their mouth. You might be afraid to open your mouth. But as every believer's responsibility in the priesthood of all believers is that there's a ministry of proclamation. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you shared your testimony? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you shared the gospel? That is evangelism. And some of you would say, never. My response to you is, your identity is not just a son or a daughter in Christ. Your identity is a priest, a priest of all, a hood of all believers. And you absolutely have this responsibility called the ministry of proclamation. How else, how else does the church get out? How else does the message of Jesus Christ penetrate the whole world? How else do we do this thing called the Great Commission? Look what Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 16, 15. He says, go into all the world and do what? Let's do that again. Go into all the world and do what? Proclaim. He didn't say go into all the world and demonstrate. No, he says proclaim. There's a proclamation. We can proclaim Jesus when we've given testimony. Hey, you say to a coworker or a friend, and God's been working in my life. I just want to tell you this. I found more peace in Christ than, than anything else in my life. Let's testify. Hey, I just want to tell you, man, I've been a part of this church and God's been working in my life. I'm seeing a whole new side of life now. Or when a friend comes to you, they're discouraged and they're depressed you take it a step further and say, have you ever thought about um, exploring faith more? And they say, no, I really haven't. See, you have a ministry of proclamation. You have a responsibility to the people at work. You have a ministry of proclamation. You have a responsibility to your children, to your friends, to your family. I don't. I have a ministry responsibility to you and to everybody else I'm around. 
you have a sphere of influence and the priesthood of all believers is contingent upon the obedience that every believer says, I'll take the orders, Lord. I'll take the message and I will proclaim the good news, the gospel. The good news is the good news of Jesus Christ that he forgives sins. And he says, go so far as to the whole creation. You share it with everybody. We're gospel messengers, gospel carriers. We have a ministry, a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. This isn't just for the priest. This isn't just for the pastor. North Valley's future will plateau and decline if here is the day where you hear this message and you say, yeah, right. You proclaim, Ryan. I don't have to share. My response to you would be is, we are going to miss out on the privilege and the responsibility of building up an eternal priesthood where believers that move into marketplace and see their business as a ministry function and that they have direct responsibilities to pastor, to pray, to care for the people around them. We can change the world as we seek to take the timeless truths of Jesus' message and share it with people. So how else do we uh, share in these responsibilities of being a priest? There is the ministry of prayer. The ministry of prayer. You and I have, as every believer does, as the priest would have, as there's priestly prayers you think of. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. That was a priestly prayer. Um, when I go into a neighborhood group, a small group, or any kind of setting with other believers, here's what happens. Oh, the pastor's here. Pastor, could you pray for our people? And my response is, yeah, I could pray, but let me just ask you, can you pray? Somehow we have this holy man myth, and we have a holy prayer myth a holy person myth, a holy prayer myth, that we think that certain people have powerful, more powerful prayers than other people. Now, the Bible does say that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes a lot. That's absolutely true. But you have every right, you have every privilege because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you can function in all the priestly roles, responsibilities as any other believer can. So, Billy Graham's passed away, great evangelical leader. What you need to know that the theological truth is, is that the Lord listens to your prayers just like he listens to old Billy's, listen to old Billy's prayers. That the Pope himself, that you have the equal access as the Roman Catholic Church Pope that as a believer does. It's not based on what you've done, it's based on what Jesus has done. It's based on the power and the truth that Jesus Christ has created an eternal priesthood for all believers, that we have direct access with God, that we, have a, a, we can offer up sacrifices, we have full access to God's word. He's called us to a ministry of proclamation and he's called us to a ministry of prayer. This is what 1 Peter tells us. The Apostle Paul charges 1 Peter, a young protege. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications... It's making the request known to God and prayers and intercession. Did you know that when you're praying, you're interceding? That's the work of a priest. He mediates. He gets in between. 
When you see a friend that's going through a hardship with their family, you can say, I'll pray for you. And what you're doing is you're interceding on their behalf. You're helping your friends. You're doing priestly activity in doing so. You can intercede. And he says, and thanksgivings be made for all people, the rich, the poor, the godly, the ungodly. He says in verse two, for kings and all who are in high positions. This would have been shocking for those that would have been uh, Peter's disciples or would have received this letter because the king that is going to be moving into power very quickly is Nero. And what, what Peter is telling his disciples is you need to pray for those people as well. Pray for everybody, all kinds of people, those who are in high positions. And he says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way, Sounds like the work of a priest and the lifestyle of a priest. Don't want to stand out too much. Just go and live your life as a Christian. In the workplace that you already have, the ministry context that God's placed you in. He says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, and our, of, of, uh, in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Every single one of us have a ministry of prayer that we're called to. Years ago, I was, uh, found out that there was this lady named Miss Starrett who was a Sunday school teacher and she prayed for me all the time. She prayed for my conversion. She prayed that I would turn away from my darkness and turn towards the light of Jesus Christ. I think that lady had more power and influence on my life just because she just prayed constantly. She interceded. She constantly was interceding on my behalf, wanting me to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the apostle Paul says he links this prayer back to God's desire that people would be saved. So the world will be one to Christ when believers don't see themselves as simply attenders, but active participants in the kingdom of God. The world will be one to Christ when believers don't simply see that their work is just a dead-end job, but it's a place of ministry. That when the drunk guy comes rolling in, that the question ought not to be is just a terrible bad guy, Lord, wipe him out, do whatever. But it's, Lord, what's wrong with this guy? How can the peace of Christ, how can the good news of Jesus Christ impact this life? How can I intercede and pray for him? What can I do to help? That's the role of ministry. We can move forward as a church as you take your step into your ministry of prayer as moving forward and taking your step in the ministry of proclamation. We can move forward as a church and we can do things like reach the North Valley for Christ. There's this ministry of proclamation. And lastly, there's this ministry of peace. God wants to use you to create peace. Jesus said it like this, blessed are the peacemakers. The role of the priest was oftentimes to make, ensure that there was peace between man and between God. Your role and your responsibility as a Christian is that of a priest, that you have this ministry of peace. The Apostle Paul says it like this, all this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and, has, and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. You need to be a minister of reconciliation with maybe a family member that is estranged or there's, there's difficulty and struggle you help reconcile that, not just between them and other people, 
but between them and God. You're a ministry of reconciliation, the Apostle Paul says. The reality is, is that doing this ministry of peace is not easy. The Apostle Paul also says in Romans, he says that it, as far as it is possible, is so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all people. The reality is, is that you can't have peace with everybody. That you're going to have people that just don't want peace. But our ministry as Christians is to take up this ministry of peace. Why? Because we know the peacemaker. We know Jesus Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. Romans 5 tells us that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are called to this ministry of peace. Well, I want to encourage you, you are welcomed into the priesthood, not by myself, but by the Lord Jesus. When you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you were um, enrolled into the priesthood. Here's what I want to share with you. Today actually is a special day. Um, It marks our six-year anniversary as a church. Six years ago, we started at Barry Goldwater High School. We launched our first Sunday service there, and then later we moved to the movie theaters. We bought, and then from there we came over here, and I would say we bought the biggest fixer-upper in the North Valley. Um, From that point, we've renovated it. We moved on site Easter of 2017. Um, That's about 18 months ago, and since that time, we've baptized about 130 people into this church. Um, We've averaged about 350 adults and kids. It's about 550 that call North Valley home if everybody showed up at once. On average, we've grown between 15 to 20% um, per year over the last three years. The kingdom of priesthood is growing. We're going to reach the North Valley for Christ, not because there's a pastor who preaches the word, because there's a people who live the word, who proclaim the word, who demonstrate the word. On Easter, we had 722 people in our services that heard about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. We had a total of 1,000 people on our campus that day with our big event. We have more than 50% of our adults that are in neighborhood groups today learning about Jesus' word, learning about the Bible, applying it to their lives. We have roughly about 100 volunteers on a weekly basis that are in the ministry, not only in the ministry in their workplaces, but in the ministry through the church. They're giving Our giving, the church has been generous. There's a lot of room for improvement. Giving changes lives. Giving expands mission and fuels mission. Uh, Over the last six years, um, with our hope offering and even through our general fund giving, we've given $75,000 towards local and global outreach. Um, We've helped plant 16 churches. Um, We've sent mission teams uh, to California to visit some of those churches throughout Arizona. Globally, we've gone to the Dominican Republic, to the Guatemala. We've gone there. And this last summer, we sent 40 kids to camp. And my message to you is we're just getting started. But the next six years is dependent upon our church taking that active role and saying it's not just a pastor-centered church. It's a priesthood of all believers. It's the people living out their faith in their workplaces. Your greatest evangelism opportunity is to your family and then to your friends. God's placed you as, and called you salt and light into the world around you. But all this information that I just shared with you is great. And I believe that we're just getting started here. 
But the reason why I get up and preach and do what I do week after week is stories like this. A few weeks ago, we baptized Ryan and Shannon Kreitz, a couple in our church. And Ryan didn't really have a church background. And he knew in his heart that he needed to lead his family um, and take a step forward in faith to get plugged into a local church. I'm glad they found this church. Um, Shannon came from a background where a religious setting that did not teach the gospel message at all, a very much a, a system of works and was always struggling in, in to understand what does the Bible really say and who is Jesus. And then there's their little son, Ryan, who loves North Valley kids and gets to hear about Jesus in the Bible. And all of them placed their faith in Jesus Christ here recently. And all of them came forward and proclaimed their faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. There's 130 stories like that over the last six years here at our church. And what's really cool is Melinda is a volunteer that has served in our ministry. and We've hired her on staff. She's a person just like you. And she's just said, I want to serve and I want to help. And she had the privilege to help baptize uh, Ryan just a few weeks ago. This is what Shannon wrote to me to share with you. She says, we look forward each and every week to learn about Jesus. We look forward each and every week to learn about the Bible and we're involved in a neighborhood group. And she says, nothing makes me happier than to see my son excited about his faith in Christ and to see my whole family come together and be a part of this church. And then I asked her, what would you share with our people on Sunday? And here's what she said. Shannon says this to you. She says, it's never too late. It's never too late to experience the peace that she's found in Christ. She says that the peace was missing in my life and in, now it's gone because Jesus has made me whole and Jesus has made me new. Amen? We celebrate that? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father, for you. I thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for that we can have a relationship with you, Almighty God, High King of Heaven, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your church. Lord, thank you for the sacrifices that you made, and thank you for the privilege, the responsibilities that you call us to. Lord, may the next six years of this church grow exponentially because of the priesthood of all believers that we would move forward into our modern-day markets and our businesses, our family, and our friends and do those things that you've called us to do, to that ministry of proclamation, to that ministry, Lord, of prayer, and to that ministry of peace. You are the greatest peacemaker, and we thank you for the work in Jesus Christ. And for all those that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ and want that peace, I pray that you just pray with me something simple like this, right? Silently from your chair. Lord, today I'm coming to you. I acknowledge my sin. I ask that you take my sin in exchange for righteousness. I, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, to forgive me as a son of God. And I confess Jesus today as my Lord and my Savior. Lord, and for all of us, I pray that we would march forward from here with a bold new confidence to move into the ministry, not simply in the church, but into the world and help break down the barrier between the secular and the sacred and be your priest in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.